Shabbat Shalom and welcome. I'm Ross. Thank you for joining us today. This is our Sabbath morning scripture study. I want to remind you that after this teaching today, I will be hosting a Zoom call. So if you are joined, if you are joined up live this morning, you're watching me now, then after the class, I want you to join me in a Zoom to discuss the topic today. Who does Israel belong to? We're talking about the place, the land. By the way, in the description of this video, you will also find a sheet. In this sheet are several verses that you will need to follow along if you're listening to it now and or later. But the land of Israel obviously is the focus of the world. Not just now, but it has been in times past. And I assure you that it will be in the future as well. It is a land most disputed. <clears throat> it is a land contested. It is situated on a crossroads that from the ancient times to the present has made it the focal point of the world. It's been battled over, fought over. Various claimants, religious, political, have all staked a claim and put their name and tried to take a piece of this land. The parliaments of man, from the League of Nations to the United Nations, have all put their say, made their claim as to who does Israel belong to in all or in part. Everyone feels the desire to weigh in, to vote on, to divide, and to share this land. But what does the Bible say? That's what we're going to talk about today. I want you to go with me this morning to the book of Joel, the prophet Joel. Look at Joel. I just want to read chapter 3 and verse 2. Now, if you're in a Hebrew Bible, it's going to be chapter 4, verse 2. But in the English, Joel chapter 3 and verse 2, and it says, I will gather all nations. I will gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will execute judgment upon them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they've scattered among the nations, and they have divided my land, and they have divided my land. This particular passage is presented the speaker as God, and one of the things that he will enter into judgment with kol hagoyim, with all of the nations. Now think about that is an interesting phrase, particularly when we think about the efforts of the world to assemble an organization whereby all nations are represented. We might call it something different, but the prophets call it all the nations. When all the nations God is going to enter judgment with all these nations, mainly because of one thing and one thing primarily, 
and that is they have divided, God speaking, my land, my land. So I want to, from the outset, I want to establish that the land of Israel, as we know it in modern geopolitical uh, markers and boundaries, that piece of land, that belongs to God. This is the most important place that we can start. Go with me this morning to the book of Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25, and I want to go to verse 23, Leviticus 25, 23, and the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For ye, plural, are strangers and sojourners with me. Sojourners, toshavim. You are gerim, you are strangers and those who dwell uh, with me, says God. And he's talking there to the children of Israel. So again, we established the fact at the outset that the land, the land belongs to God. It is God's to give to whomever he should choose uh, from a biblical perspective. Now, I know some people who don't believe the Bible, this is not the right lecture for you. You're not going to come to the same conclusions. But one thing I want to tell you is that from ancient times, we have archaeological evidence that the people of Israel were in this place. So we're going to build up to who is it that God says Israel belongs to. Now, go with me to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 11, and we're going to begin in verse 11, Deuteronomy 11, 11. And this is picking up, uh, not at the beginning of this particular passage, but a part I want to focus on. He's describing the land in Deuteronomy 11, the land Whither ye go over to possess it is a land of hills and valleys, and drinks water of the heaven, a land which Jehovah your God cares for. The eyes of Jehovah your God are always upon it, from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. I remember the first time that I went to Israel. This particular passage really struck me because I'm I'm on the plane, and as you first see the beautiful land of Israel from the window of the plane, the first thing I thought about is this is the land that God cares for, and his eyes are on it from the beginning of the year unto the end of the year. It is a land that the Lord, that Jehovah, cares for. And being that this land is the Lord's and that he cares for it, and that his eyes are always on it, and that he refers to this place as a land of milk and honey, a land flowing with milk and honey. By the way, this sheet, the study sheet that is in the notes, has all of these passages, but I'll just go through them quickly so that you have them in your notes if you don't have the sheet pulled up. 19 times in the Tanakh it's mentioned a land flowing with milk and honey. Exodus 3.8, Exodus 3.17, Exodus 13.5, Exodus 33 and 3, Leviticus 20 and 24, Numbers 13.27, 27, 
chapter 14, verse 8, chapter 16, verse 14, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3, Deuteronomy 11, 9. I want you to get the feel. This is over and over. Chapter 26, verse 9 and verse 15. Chapter 27, verse 3. Chapter 31, verse 20. And then the prophets. Jeremiah 11, 5. Jeremiah 32, 22. Ezekiel 20 and 6 and verse 15. Again, they're in your notes. It is a good land. It's a good land. They're also in the notes. I won't go through these again. But 10 times... In the Tanakh, this land is referred to as the good land. What's interesting is that among the books of the Pentateuch, it's only in Deuteronomy, only in Deuteronomy that the land is referred to as the good land. That is outside the scope of today's class, though. According to our narrative sources, According to the text of the Hebrew Bible, it was once, this land, was once the land of Canaan, inhabited by a group of, uh, sometimes the names vary, sometimes the number vary, but as many as seven Canaanite nations, seven Canaanite peoples. Generally, we know these as the Ites the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites, all those ites, the land of the Canaanites. In fact, at times, the, the Bible refers 10 times, in fact, to the land of the Canaanite, Eretz HaCanaanite, the land of the Canaanites. And those particular tribes, although the names vary, this is the original inhabitants of the land. But this land, this land once inhabited by the Canaanites, these, these seven groups of nations, was specially chosen by God. It's called a, a holy land. God cares for it. His eyes are on it all the year round. A land flowing with milk and honey and a good land. And it's this particular land that God swore to give to someone other than these Canaanites who originally inhabited. We're going to talk about why that is. But a land sworn, I want to call this, you can call it a land sworn or you can call it the sworn land, more popularly known as the promised land. But in the Hebrew Bible, time and time again, this particular land is referred to uh, as a land sworn. Now, uh, there are a couple of ways that this goes. The sheet is something you can study on your own, but I'm going to bring up several passages to illustrate this point. In the Hebrew Bible, there is a phrase that occurs six times. And in those six times, it's a direct reference to God literally raising his hand. Now, the, the language is very clear. There is a, another way to say a sworn land. We're going to get into some of those. But these passages here describe that God raises his hand and swears this land 
to a particular people. I want you to look with me at the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 6 and verse 8. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 8. God speaking according to the text, and I will bring you in unto the land which I swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a heritage. I am Jehovah. Now in Hebrew, it's nasati et yadai. It's, and I will lift my hand. This is, he's saying basically, and I will cause you to, to enter to the land, reading very literally, which I have lifted my hand to give you to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I have given it uh, to you as a Morshah, a Morshah. We're going to talk about what a Morshah is in a moment. Ani Yehovah. I am Jehovah. I've given you this land. I swore it to you. I raised my hand, saith Jehovah, to give this. Now, we're going to talk also because some might say, well, the land belongs to all of Abraham's children, to the extended family. We're going to talk about what belongs to them, but I'm talking about a very specific piece of land, undivided, that belongs to the children of Israel per the Bible that God raised his hand and swore to this group. Look with me at one more. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 30. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 30. It says, surely, I'm entering in, uh, in the midst of the story where the people murmur against God, they don't trust him. This is right after the spy story. Surely, verse 30, you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear that I would make you dwell therein. Save Caleb the son of Yephunneh, and Yahshua, the son of Nun. So what he's saying here where it says, where I swear, where I swear in the Hebrew is nasati et yadai. He's, he's raising his hand. Yadi, I should say, yadi, my hand. My hand, yadi. Surely you shall not come into the land concerning which I raised my hand that I would make you, plural, to dwell in it. Now, a couple other passages, just so you have them in your notes. The same uh, sworn land, with literally with God saying, I raised my hand to give you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This land is also in Ezekiel 20, chapter 20, verse 28, and verse 42. Ezekiel 47, verse 14, and Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15. To whom, to whom is this land sworn? To whom is it sworn? I don't care what the League of Nations and what the United Nations say. That's not for this class. I do care. We'll talk about that in another class. Right now, I want to say, what is the mandate from Jehovah? What does what do the biblical writers say, and to whom does Israel belong when we're talking about the Bible? Not what uh, the Parliament of Man might say. 22 times, and this is where your sheet will come in handy. I have three columns. I have 
On the left-hand side, I have the passages which talk about the sworn land. And then I have two other columns. The center column is where the Bible says only, well, only, but it's clearly that God swore this to your fathers. And then in the right-hand column, I have very clearly indicated with a check mark those passages where it says that God gave this land to the descendants of Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Very specific. Not just Abraham, not just Abraham and Isaac, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That puts a square into the Israelite tribes. And we're going to talk again about other descendants of Abraham because people tend to read this and they get confused on the boundaries of the land that should belong to Israel versus these other tribes uh, that are descendant from Abraham. But all it takes is a reading of the text. See, that's what happens when people don't read it. They make wrong uh, associations and they miss the, the point. Now, when we talk about these promises, the sworn, the land sworn, I want to begin with Abraham. And I have several verses that I want to work through that deal with Uh, the promise or the swearing, the oath about the land that goes to Abraham. And the story of the land being given to Abraham begins, and I've got like, uh, I have about six passages we're going to go through, beginning with Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. This, by the way, is the first time that we encounter Abraham, but in Genesis chapter 11, uh, Genesis 11 and one second, and verse uh, 31, 11 and verse 31. And it says, And Terach took Avram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter in law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees, to go into the land of Canaan. They came unto Haran and dwelt there. And then it talks about how Terak died. Now, we're not going to go into a lot of detail here. We might in the Zoom call, but this is one ancient source. One ancient source says that Terak took Avram and other relatives, and they went to Haran. Now, what's interesting is, is that when you get to chapter 12, uh, Abram is back in Ur of the Chaldees. So what happens here? It's Again, it's two narrative sources. One says that Abraham initially took the call. Uh, he went with Tarak and the rest of his family. Now we're going to go to chapter 12 and verse 1. I want to read chapter 12, verse 1 through 9. Now Jehovah said to Avram, Get thee out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and be thou a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and him that curses you or esteems you lightly, I will curse. The world needs to listen to this part right here, right here. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Avram went as Jehovah had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Avram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Remember, chapter 11 has him already out of Haran. And Avram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, 
and the souls they had gotten in Haran, they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Avram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the oak of Moreh. The Canaanite was then in the land. And Jehovah appeared unto Abram and said, Unto your seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto Jehovah, uh, who appeared unto him. Uh, and he removed from thence unto the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, I on the east. And there he built an altar unto Jehovah, called upon the name of Jehovah. And then Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. So Avram, according to this source, uh, is in Ur of the Chaldees. He, not Tarak, he hears a call, leave everything that you know, leave your father's house, leave your kindred, leave the land of your birth, and go to the place that I will show you. So he, sight unseen, is called, and from the initial call, what is the call? I need you to leave where you're at and go to a land, a land. There's no other promise at this time. Go to a land. Then it follows all the other promises, and I'll make you great, and so forth and so on. Now, look with me. We're going to go through these quickly. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 12. <clears throat> and Avram, Genesis 13, 12, Avram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, moved his tent as far as Sodom. Go down to verse 14. And Jehovah said unto Avram, after Lot was separated from him, lift up now your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. All the land which you see, to thee will I give it, and to your seed forever. And I will make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, uh, then may the seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, in the breadth of it, for unto thee will I give it. Okay, so Avram is told that he is to inherit a land as far as he can see in all directions. And that is true in the case of Avram. We're going to continue through this. Look with me to the next one, to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, let's look at verse 7 first. Genesis 15 and verse 7. And it says, And he said unto him, I am Jehovah that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. So again, underscores the point that God brought Avram out of Ur of the Chaldees to give him a land. To give him a land. We're going to talk more about this. Look at Look down at verse 18, chapter 15. In that day, Jehovah made a covenant with Avram. Now, what's the covenant with Avram? Unto your seed have I given this land. Now, get this. From the river of Egypt. You, have, you need a good Bible map. Uh, the river of Egypt unto the river, the river Euphrates. Now, a lot of people are going to say, oh, wow, that's all the way east, and it's in Ur, basically. Well, you have to look at the map as we continue to draw it. The Kenite, the Kenazite, the Kadmonite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Rephaim, the Amorite, the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. Notice the area he's describing is central to the land of Canaan. We're going to talk about this. Uh, the river Euphrates 
If you look at a map, the River Euphrates, by the way, the map that you saw early on, I have a link to that map also in the description of this video. So uh, you need this map. You need to be able to look and see. Uh, when we talk about the River Euphrates, yes, it starts east, far east, but goes all the way up to the north and bounds north of Damascus. So when we talk about the River Euphrates, about these lands, that's where we're talking. It makes, makes a major difference. Okay, now look at the next one. We're going to show you this more. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 8. Genesis 17 verse 8. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. All the land of Canaan. All the land of Canaan. Okay, one more. Look at Genesis 24. Genesis 24 and the first part of verse 7. This is later in life. He says, Jehovah, the God of heaven, took me from my father's house and from the land of my nativity, and the one who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. So from the very outset, Avram is called, he is in covenant with God, and the central component of that covenant is a land. This is not metaphorical. This is not, uh, you know, as, as so many other religions later use Beulah land in hymns to describe heaven and the streets of gold. We're talking about a literal, physical, uh, terrestrial place. We're talking about land, terra firma. We're talking about ground and water, and we're talking about the land that was the land of Canaan. So my question earlier, does the land of Canaan go to all the inhabitants, uh, let me say this again, all the descendants of Abraham? Because Abraham has many sons. Father Abraham had many sons. We know the song. So Abraham has many sons, but to whom does what was the land of Canaan belong? Should a big slice of it be given to another group of Abraham's sons? Not if we read the Bible. What we're going to do is we're going to look at what about some of these other sons? What about the children of Abraham through Keturah? Go with me to Genesis chapter 25, please. Genesis chapter 25. And we're going to look at verse 5 and 6. Genesis 25, verse 5 and 6. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. So Isaac, remember we're talking about, as we talk about this land, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he gave all that he had unto Isaac, but unto the sons of the concubines that Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts. And he sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward into the east country. So he sends these other 
children that he loved to other places. But as you'll see, the land of Canaan in its entirety belongs to the children of Abraham. Yes, but to Isaac as well and to Jacob or Israel. Look down in 25 to verse 18. And they dwelt, talking about the sons that he sent away, the sons of Ishmael and so forth. Uh, verse 18, and they dwelt from Havilah to Shur, that is, before Egypt, as you go toward Assyria, and he abode over against all his brothers. So what we need to understand is if you look at a map, these other descendants of uh, Abraham are in the south below the, the borders of Israel. They extend south and then eastward, eastward, all the way to the east. We're going to see that more as we get into the story. Now I want you to look with me. I want you to look with me to chapter 26 of Genesis, verse 1 through 5. Chapter 26, 1 through 5. Now we're talking about Isaac. And there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech. Isaac went unto Abimelech, or Avimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And Jehovah appeared unto him and said, Don't go into Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I'll be with you, and I will bless you. For unto you and your seed I'll give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore unto Abraham your father, and I'll multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and will give unto your seed all these lands, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So we see here, very clear. Chapter 25 says Abraham does in fact give lands to the children other than Isaac. He gives them the land to the south from the river of Egypt across the southern boundary of the land of Canaan and then far to the east. But to Isaac, he inherits the land of Canaan and only Isaac. That's the way the Bible reads it, okay? Now, we have to move into Jacob. Look at Je Jacob's story. Let's look at Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. And I'm going to uh, begin in verse 4. Genesis 28 and verse 4. But I want to tell you that this particular passage is following uh, when, when Jacob receives the blessing. In, in verse 1, you can start in verse 1, but we're going we're gonna to pick it up in verse 4. Um, let's see. And God Almighty, verse 3, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and may you become a company of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham. W what is the blessing of Abraham? See, a lot of people have a lot of ideas. I, what does the Bible say the blessing of Abraham is? Here it is. Oh, it's right here. It's in the text to you and to your seed with you, that you may inherit the land of your sojournings which God gave unto Abraham. So the blessing of Abraham 
is the land. Remember in Genesis 12 when he says, leave everything you have and be blessed? Be ble Why? Because you're going to go to a land that I will show you, and you will be blessed, and you will be a blessing, and so forth and so on. It has to do with the land, a physical land that God gave to Abraham, who then gave it to Isaac, who then passed it to Jacob. All right, look down at verse 12, Genesis 28, verse 12. Now, the story between these two points is that Jacob is fleeing because his brother wants to kill him, uh, not an unusual motif in the biblical text or in the modern world, we might say. But Jacob has a dream in his flight. And verse 12 is where I'll pick up. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on, uh, in Hebrew, it's a sulam. It's a uh, translated ladder, Jacob's ladder. It could just be an ascent. All right, either way. Uh, verse 13, And behold, Jehovah stood above it and said, Ani Yehovah, I am Jehovah, the God of Abraham your father, the God of Isaac, the land whereon you liest, to you I will give it, and to your seed. And your seed shall be as the dust of the earth and shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you whithersoever you go and will bring you again unto this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you of. Jacob is told in a dream. A lot of people talk about Zionism and the birth of the modern state of Israel. It is a dream, but it's a dream if you will it. It's no longer a dream. It is a manifestation of a God-given dream, a transfer of a title deed from the God of heaven, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a promise, an oath. He swore to give a land to a certain people who would be a light to the nations. And that people is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's where I'm focused today. It's, it's a very particular group. Abraham has many sons, and they have wonderful things we can say about them, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about a very specific group, sons of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Israel. And he tells Jacob, your descendants will be scattered throughout all nations, is basically what he says. Your seed will be as the dust of the earth. Look. To, they'll spread to the west, the east, the north, the south. But then notice he says, I will bring them back. This is part of leading up to part two of what I'm talking about today. But look at the next text with me. Look at Genesis 35. Genesis 35, and I want to look at verse 12. And the land, Genesis 35, 12, the land which I gave unto Abraham and Isaac to you. I'll give it. And to your seed, after you, will I give the land. Very specific. Who's he giving it to? This, the children of Keturah? Sorry. I mean, it's not. He gave land to the children of Keturah and the other uh, handmaids. Hagar? Yes, of course. Yes, of course he gave land to them. But not this land. Not this land. This land, regardless of what the United Nations or the League of Nations or modern uh, speakers or politicians or 
what it, none of that matters when it comes to what it says here. Okay? Now, look at Genesis chapter 48. Genesis 48, verse 3. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Huh, wonder how he blessed him. And said unto me, Behold, I'll make you fruitful, multiply you, and I'll make of you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your seed after you for an everlasting possession. This land that God blessed Abraham with was passed to Isaac, passed to Jacob. And Jacob, he says, Jacob, your descendants are going to be scattered, but I'm going to bring them back. I will not forsake them. Because he swore, literally, he raised his hand, it says. Now, how literal? Does God have a hand? Well, it says he does. I don't know how literally you take that. But it says he raised his hand in an oath and swore to give this land to this people. Go with me to Psalm 105. Psalm 105, and I want to pick up verse 8. Psalm 105, beginning in verse 8. He has remembered his covenant. Psalm 105, 8 through 11. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. The covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. I wonder where we're going with this. I wonder what... I wonder if we could figure out what covenant he made with Isaac and what oath he, I mean, what covenant he made with Abraham, what's the oath he made with Isaac, what he confirmed, verse 10, the same unto Jacob for a statute, to Israel for an everlasting covenant. I wonder if we could just know what that was. Oh, wait, it's the next verse, saying, unto thee will I give the land of Canaan the lot of your inheritance. The land, the covenant, confirmed the oath, I will give you a land. <clears throat> the sworn land has borders. I'm talking about the land that belongs to Israel. Who does Israel belong to? When I say Israel, I'm saying who, to whom does the land of Israel belong to? The answer is in the question. It belongs to Israel. Why? Well, I didn't make this up. It's what the texts say. So what we're looking at now is what are the borders of this land? And they are in three texts. Three texts give the land borders, and people just don't study these closely. But if you look at uh, let's look at Numbers chapter 34, Numbers chapter 34, and beginning in verse 3, Numbers 34, 3. Um, and by the way, I'm just going to give you these passages that describe the, the borders of the, the land. I'm going to read the first one. I'm going to give you two more. So if you look at Numbers 34, 3. Uh, wait, let me back it up. <clears throat> Verse 1, Jehovah spoke unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land of Canaan, parenthetically it says, This is the land that shall fall unto you for an inheritance, even the land of Canaan, according to the borders thereof. 
Then, verse 3, your south quarter or border shall be from the wilderness of Zin along by the sides of Edom. Very clearly demarked, uh, in, in fact, the modern state of Israel goes further than this. Pay attention, politicians. Zin, alongside of Edom, and your south border shall be from the end of the Salt Sea eastward, and your border shall turn about southward of the ascent of the Akravim, the scorpion's ascent, and pass along to Zin. I've lived in this place for long periods of time, weeks at a time, as have some of you. We're talking about the area by biblical Tamar. And the goings out thereof shall be southward of Kadesh Barnea, and it shall go forth to Hazar Adar and pass along to Asmon. And the border shall turn about from Asmon unto the brook of Egypt, and the goings out thereof shall be at the sea. Verse 6, and for the western border, you'll have the great sea. So you just follow it. You go all the way to the river of Egypt, you, you hook, a, hook a right, you hook a north, you go up and you follow along the Mediterranean Sea, and this can be your west border. And then verse 7, and, it, and this shall be your north border. From the great sea, you're going to mark out for you Mount Hor. From Mount Hor, you shall mark out the entrance to Hamat. The goings out of the border shall be at Zedad. The border shall go from Zephron, and the goings out thereof shall be Hazar and Non. This shall be your north border. You're going to mark out your east borders. You're, you're, going, you're going along the north. Now, when do, you, when do you hit the eastern limit? Here it is. Uh, you shall mark out the east border from Hazar and Non to Shafam. The border shall go down from Shafam to Ribla on the east side of Ain, and the border shall go and shall reach under the side of the Sea of Kinneret, that's the Sea of Galilee, eastward, and the border shall go down to the Jordan. The goings out thereof shall be at the Salt Sea." This is your land according to the borders thereof round about. Google, Google biblical boundaries of the Holy Land according to the book of Numbers. It's, it pops up. It's not like some go, well, I wonder where that is. It, they're all the same. The, the map that is in the description here, it shows uh, basically the land of Israel. It's got some modern things on it as well. You can look also at two other passages. You see them on the screen. Joshua 15, verses 1 through 12, and Ezekiel 47, verse 13 through 20. Uh, you can also look at chapter 48 of Ezekiel. Look, this land belongs to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, other descendants of Abraham have other lands, as do members of the greater household of Abraham, okay? So descendants of Lot, for instance, they're, they're descendants of the family of Abraham, the household of, of Abraham. Where is their land? It's east of the Jordan, the, the area of Ammon and Moab. Uh, when you travel with me to Jordan, we go to these areas. You've seen these. Now, also note in Deuteronomy, in the early chapters, chapter 1 through 3 of Deuteronomy, uh, it charts a, a progression, a, a travel itinerary, if you will. And one thing that's very clear in the book of Deuteronomy, even more clear in the Moses scroll, is don't mess with 
these other lands. They're not yours. You, you can't have these. I've given these to uh, Ammon, to Moab, right? I've given these to Esau. So these lands that are given to other related peoples, Israel's not allowed. It's the Canaanites, these wicked Canaanite peoples that God tells them to take out, and, and we'll talk about that. So the sworn land is an integral part of the covenant as we shall see. Go with me to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, and I'm going to begin in verse 2. Exodus 6, uh, beginning in verse 2. And God spoke unto Moses and said unto him, I am Jehovah, I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob as El Shaddai, but by my name Jehovah I was not known to them. I've talked about this. That's pretty clear. Uh, people like to change that because they don't like the theology of it. But God was not known by Jehovah prior to this. And I, verse 4, have also established my covenant with them. I wonder what that covenant is. Oh, here it is. To give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojournings, wherein they sojourned. And moreover, I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. What's his covenant? To give them the land of Canaan. This is why it's so wicked when other people claim it. Verse 6. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am Jehovah, Ani Jehovah, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I'll be to you for a God, and you shall know that I am Jehovah your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you in unto the land which I swear, lifting that hand, to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a heritage, a morashah, ani Yehovah. Ani Yehovah. His covenant is to give a land to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not just Abraham, not just Abraham and Isaac, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's other lands, I keep saying this to make sure you get it, there's other lands for other peoples. That's right, but not this land, not this land. This is reinforced, by the way, uh, we're talking about a specific group, is reinforced, if you remember in Genesis chapter 15, before Abraham, before Abram even has any descendants, God gives him this vision. And in the vision, he tells him that his descendants... Uh, would be in Egypt. And it's not all of his descendants, right? It's not all of his, it's a specific group of his descendants that are captive in Egypt. And God says that they're going to come out after a few hundred years, and they're going to come back to this place. He's not talking about all of them. All right. Verse 8, one more time, listen. And I will bring you in unto the land which I swear to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm going to give it to you for a morashah, a morashah, a possession. The word morashah, God says the land that he's swearing to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
is a more shah, but that means a possession, a heritage. Very, very uh, strong language. It's only used twice. It's used here one time, and the other passage is Deuteronomy 33, 4. The only other thing called a morashah is Deuteronomy 33, verse 4. I want to read that. Moses commanded us a law, a Torah, an inheritance, a morashah for the assembly of Jacob. So you see that this is the two passages that contain the word morashah. Two things. It's, it's not hard to memorize. The, there are only two things that God gave as an inheritance to the children of Israel. Here they are, Exodus 6, 8, the land, the land. He didn't give it to everybody. Sorry, I'm sorry to disappoint some people, but he didn't. He gave them other lands, and he even told Israel, don't harass them. That's their land. I got a land for you. So he gave them a land, heritage, uh, and he gave them a Torah, an instruction. Exodus 6, 8, Deuteronomy 33, 4. That is, that is the heritage or the possession of the children of Israel. And that would make a good t-shirt. Look, there are only two reasons... There are only two reasons named, or I should say, there are two reasons named for God bringing Israel out of Egypt. What are the two reasons that God brought Israel out of Egypt? Uh, write your answers right now. And, and in your head, I want you to sing or hum the, you know, the game show. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. All right, you write your answers. Two reasons that God brought Israel out of Egypt. Go with me to Leviticus. Go with me to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25 and verse 38. Leviticus 25, 38. I am Jehovah your God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, number one, to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. But can't everybody have the land? I'm not saying you can't live there, but it's not yours. He says, there's two reasons I brought you out of Egypt. Number one, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. Because I raised, this is God. God says, I raised my hand and swore it to your fathers. I raised my hand and swore it to your fathers to give it to you and to your seed after you. And I'm going to be your God. This is a covenant. It is a covenant. The covenant is connected to the land. Without the land, you can't have the covenant. That's, that's how close this is. Because the covenant is that God says Israel is going to have this land. And by God, that's why Israel is there now against all odds. Every nation of the world can beat their chest 
and rattle their swords and commit heinous acts. But Israel is not going anywhere because God said this is their land. But someone else was there in that land when they went there. And, they, and this is known biblically. Their iniquity, it would seem, finally was full. Remember Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6 when God gives the, the uh, picture of what's to come to Abram. He tells him that the Amorites, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now the Amorites are sometimes, even though they're listed as one of the seven or sometimes the five nations, depends on which list you read, which source you're looking at, but the Amorites were a name, is a name that is sometimes given uh, to the people as a whole. We tend to think Canaanites is the, the lump all name or the name wherein you can put all the other Girgashite, Hittite, Hivite, you know, and all the ites. But, but sometimes it's the Amorites. In fact, they're told to go to the mountain of the Amorites. So, uh, so anyway, but the, the, the fullness of their iniquity finally reached a certain point. Such that, such that, the, the way the Bible describes it in priestly, very vivid language, uh, the land would vomit out the inhabitants. Leviticus 18, 24 through 28, just so you have these in your notes. Leviticus 18, 24 through 28. Leviticus chapter 20 uh, and verse 22 talk about the land will vomit out the inhabitants. Now, it's not, it wasn't going to be immediate, Right? It doesn't happen like overnight. In fact, let's read a couple of passages. I want you to go with me to Exodus chapter 23, Exodus 23, verses 29 through 31. Exodus uh, 23, 29 through 31. It's also in Deuteronomy 7, 22, but you read that one on your own. Uh, verse 29 of Exodus 23, I will not drive them out from before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against you. By little and little, I will drive them out before you until you be increased and inherit the land. And I'm going to set the border from the Red Sea, or Yom Suf, actually, even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness, even unto the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. <clears throat> so the idea is that Israel is to drive out the inhabitants of Canaan uh, because they, they were wicked as hell. And, and that's the idea. It, over and over, we see the language that says, drive these people out, drive them out. Listen, you cannot, you just can't, despite what the peaceniks want you to believe, you can't have somebody that is your neighbor hacking your families to, to death in their sleep. You can't have it. It just isn't going to work. So what do you do? You get them out. You kill them. You do whatever you have to do. That's what this message is. So how are you going to drive them out? Well, look, at here's some verses. Exodus 33, verse 2. Exodus 34, verse 24. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 9 has this, it says, it's not because of your righteousness that you're inheriting this land. That's not the reason you're inheriting the land, but it's because of the wickedness of the people who were here before. You see, 
This is the ancient message I'm talking. I'm back in ancient time. Deuteronomy 11, 23 and following is the same thing. It's the message that you're, you're inheriting this land. Why? Why does Israel inherit the land? Because God said that. They were his covenant people. And he promised with a, a raised hand. This is your land. I gave it to Abraham. I gave it to Isaac. I gave it to Jacob and his descendants. There are other lands for other descendants of Abraham, for other peoples. Not this land. They can live there if they follow the rules. Now, look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 37. Deuteronomy 4, beginning in verse 37. Because, you want to know why, why did God give the land to Israel? Because, because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought them, brought you out with his presence and with his great power out of Egypt to drive out nations from before you, greater and mightier than thou, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. And then it begins to delineate, to describe what these people have to have uh, to stay there, what they have to do, what they have to be. Now, if, as we read the narrative, if these people of Israel didn't eradicate the bad. It says if you don't take <clears throat> the bad out, it's going to be a trouble to you. It's going to be a major source of trouble. And just these verses are for your notes. I'm not going to read them. Look at Numbers chapter 33, verse 55. Joshua chapter 23, verse 13. And Judges chapter 2, verse 3. You know what it says? You don't get rid of these people that are bad, these people that, that the land is vomiting out for their wickedness, if you don't get rid of them, here's what's going to happen. They're going to be barbs in your eyes, thorns in your sides, a whip to your sides, thorns in your eyes, snare and trap. Go read those passages. But now, Israel, Israel was to be required to uphold very high standards in that land. This is the other shoe dropping. You don't just get the land that God gave you and act however you want. There are very, very, very strict rules. These rules are laid out very clearly in the companion to the covenant. So you have... The covenant is two parts. It's the land. I'm going to give you the land. That's the reason God brought them out of uh, bondage. He's going to give them this land. But with that comes a law. And it, it says all sorts of things about, uh, you know, if strangers live, this is how you had to treat them. And so, so there's, there's legal ramifications, and these have to come together. They are both, the more a shah, the possession is land and law, land and law, land and law, land and law. There is a law of the land. There is a land of the law. The, the land of the law has to have the law of the land governing it. And they didn't do it. And they didn't do it. I'm not saying everyone can't overgeneralize, but 
they too were dispossessed. The children of Israel who were covenanted for the purpose of inheriting the land were booted. The land vomited them out. They were scattered. They received no mercy, lorchama, and uh, they ultimately, many of them, became lo'ami, not my people. They lost their identity. They're scattered throughout all nations as corn is sifted through a seed, yet not the least grain will fall to the ground, says God. Amos chapter 9. His eyes are on all their ways. He promises because he lifted his hand and swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that this land would belong to that physical people he says in Jeremiah 32, verse 41, that one thing God will do with all his heart and with all his soul, with everything, he's going to bring those people from the nations, put them back in the land. For nearly 2,000 years, the children of Israel remained in the diaspora. They had many scattered throughout all nations. And then... In the 19th century. Now remember, there's a larger presence of Jewish people in the land when this starts than there are other Arab people. So don't let the, the, don't let the media fool you. These stats are readily available. But among those in the dispersion, there's always been a longing to return. We set by the rivers of Babylon is a beautiful picture of this. You can't sing songs of Zion in the diaspora. And many of the people said, I want to go back. But they were inspired by the hopes and promises, the oaths contained within their ancient scriptures. And they began from their places of exile to ask the way to Zion. Jeremiah says, they asked the way to Zion. Their faces turned towards it. Means they didn't know, but something inside directed their focus in the right way, and they began to come back. And out of Jacob's darkest hour, Jacob was once again saved. The modern state of Israel is the beginning is the beginning of the fulfillment of many prophecies. Judah has begun, back in the 19th century, large waves of this. Judah has begun the return to the land sworn to them by oath, the raised hand of God. Now listen, it hasn't been easy. It will not be easy, but the oath of God can't be broken, and listen to me, and neither can the resolve of the people of Judah. Join me next week, same time, same channel. If you're watching me live right now, you've got a few minutes, and then we're going to meet for a Zoom call, I want you to meet me in the Zoom. I want you also to pray for Israel. I want you to pray for the captives. And I want you to pray for the IDF as they execute their enemies who have brought such horror upon innocent civilians. 
Shabbat Shalom. I'll see you in the Zoom.